another edition of the Loudwire Podcast. I'm Joe, and Graham is not here. Graham is actually on vacation. He's down in Africa playing with a bunch of animals on our animal rehabilitation reserve or something like that. Either way, he's there right now, and I saw pictures of him playing with petting and caring for a rhino, a little rhinoceros. Graham was petting him, and he looked to be having a lot of fun. But he missed out on a lot of fun here, too, because we have a great guest in this episode. Not that we've ever had a bad guest. And it's Rex Brown from Pantera and also photographer Joe Heron, who took all the pictures in the a vulgar display of Pantera photo book that's out now. So we're going to talk a lot about that. There's some really cool stuff in here. And one of my favorite things is that it actually dives back into the early days of Pantera all the way back to the mid-80s when they were a glam band. If you thought Cowboys from Hell was their first album, it's not. There's four more before that. It's surprising. Some people don't realize that, even though the internet exists and they could just Google this stuff. But anyway, there's some really cool pictures in there. It shows a lot of personality in the band and not very much text whatsoever accompanying it. It really is a photo book in the truest sense. And sometimes what you're missing with the text is maybe a little bit of story, and that's part of the wonder and the mystery of it. But you're going to find out some things about the story behind some of these pictures here as Rex and, Bre- and Joe are going to explain. We take a look at a picture of Rex looking a little bit distant from the band. Kind of interesting considering he was more reclusive, at least uh, comparatively, than everyone else. Another picture of them with White Zombie. Lots of cool things in there. Some really cool stories uh, involves prosthetic legs. And then we've got a special surprise for you at the end of the podcast. So make sure that you listen all the way through. But before the end, you're going to hear the Rocker versus Writer. As you know by now, if you're a first-time listener, Rocker versus Writer is where we take some of the most commonly debated topics in metal. So it's a lot of fun, and it's just some fun little discussion about the music that we all love. So today's topic is going to be the best rock or metal basis of all time. Rex takes his favorite, Geezer Butler, Black Sabbath. Joe took... Kitty Lee of Rush, if he said, though, if he's going on the metal side, then he's going to pick Rex. So no surprise there. I'm happy he didn't because I really don't want to argue against Rex. That would kind of suck. And I took, if you've been listening before, no surprise here, Steve Harris, Iron Maiden, huge Iron Maiden fan. So get ready. This is a really fun one with Rex Brown, Pantera. Joe Huron took all the pictures in the vulgar display of Pantera photo book. So get ready to sit down and shout. It's the Loudwire podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Loudwire Podcast. I have two awesome guests here today. We've got Rex Brown of Pantera Hello. and Joe Hiron, who took all the pictures in the wonderful photo book, A Vulgar Display of Pantera, which we're going to be talking about you here. you saying your name right? Hello, hello. He did. Joe Hiron. 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 Got the R's rolling Hiron. there. Hiron. Name's Hiron. Hiron. <laughs> all right. So... <laughs> Now, Joe, you've known the guys in Pantera for a long time, dating all the way back to the mid-80s. Correct. What was your first encounter with all the guys like? Um, Shot at Jack. No, we didn't actually do that. It was The funny thing about Pantera was if there was any strangers in the area, they always had their radar up. But once you got into that inner circle, you know, they, they, op- they opened the, they let you in with open arms. And I was actually there in 
shooting for the newspaper in Fort Worth, Texas, the Star Telegram. Uh, they were doing a story on a local band trying to make it on the sort of national and interna- international stage. And so I was allowed backstage to kind of shoot prep and getting warmed up, getting ready to hit the, the stage there at the Bronco Bowl. So they were kind of looking at me with one eye open and one eye kind of looking the other way. <laughs> and so there was just, there wasn't a lot of personal interaction other than me shooting some pictures, kind of fly on the wall type of stuff. It's only after the newspaper ran the article and their manager called me up to say, hey, we'd like you to work with us uh, more, that more interaction happened. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I started getting more personal with them uh, and doing more photo shoots and stuff like that. But the first interaction was just kind of more, you know, professional in nature. It became very much more personal after that. A little bit. Everybody's on each side of the fence there. Yeah. Now, Rex, what was a quality about Joe that clicked and made you guys go, yeah, this guy's one of us? Well, we saw the photos, number one. And and uh, if, I think I even say in the book that we had been approached, our manager at the time was the boy's uh, dad. And he said, they've got somebody from star telegram coming down to shoot some pictures and we go huh cool um and at the same time it was a big deal but you know we never let big deals turn into big deals you know because you're just setting yourself up for a fall you know so um when he came back um i mean this is 85 this is 30 freaking years ago so um i'm trying to remember i remember the backstage because because of seeing the pictures and i remember that they had like a whole makeup room back in those days and then with the big stage, you know, lights and mm-hmm. the, you know, like the ones you see in the old kiss pictures. And, stuff. <laughs> and so we were sitting there and I think, uh, you know, Joe had come in and, and, uh, just started going, going to town. I think we first had our first, Hey man, what's happening kind of deal. Um, you know, it was just kind of, you know, make yourself at home. I think was what it was, you know, and that because he was doing a special for the, for the, the Star Telegram was a big, big, huge newspaper back then. Um, we were like, "Well, do what you got to do, man." Mm-hmm. And then from there, it just it, it grew into this friendship. I can't, I don't remember if it was me and you that brought that that had the friendship, or it was Vinny. I can't remember. It was it was me and you and me and Glaze pretty That's much right, were there right, at the exactly. beginning. Terry, this was when Terry Glaze, uh, Terrence Lee was in mm-hmm. the band before Phil joined. More intellectual than the other. <laughs> but yeah they they opened uh up their dressing room and, and kind of said you know hey what's going on and i'd already seen the band play live uh at the various clubs in dallas so that's why i grabbed for that assignment when i saw that you know it was a, a, a something to shoot for the newspaper um and i'd been a fan from 83 onward until i actually did the shoot and knowing how good the band was musically when I went back to start taking pictures, it wasn't like I had to, I just wanted them to be natural. And the first like picture I think I remember taking is Dime just sitting there warming up and just looking at me and just, you know, throwing all sorts of poses and shapes. And it just, <laughs> and he knew how he already had it. He already yeah. knew what to do in front of the camera. And it mm-hmm. was just, it was just fabulous. I didn't have to say anything. He didn't have to say anything to me. It was just a natural organic thing. And just, you know, started taking then we, pictures. Then we saw the photos and from there it just went, you know, okay, well, hell he's coming. You know, yeah, I got to get need to chronicle everything. I think every band does, you know, um, or they they've had one, you know, that chronicles every mm-hmm. little step of their career. And uh, Joe, you know, as we got better, so did his craft, you know, um, and that was what was really 
good. It was just, you know, I don't think just anybody can take some of the shots, say, like Joe can, you know, on that professional level. Those, you know, and, the, and just and with any craft, you, you get better and better the more you do it, the more experience. Absolutely. And I think that was a sort of a factor in terms of their career and my career were sort of taken up because from being a newspaper photographer is great, but I always knew I wanted to be a music photographer, a freelancer, doing the type of pictures that I used to hang on my wall and the posters, you know, from mm -hmm. all these other photographers. Right. Uh, you know, Preston, Bob Groon, you know, that type of stuff. And so our careers, as they were taking up professionally, writing better music and getting more attention and eventually a major label deal, I was kind of moving away from newspapers, freelancing a lot more for music magazines and starting to do a and lot plus, of their contemporaries, photograph a lot of the other bands that were being signed at the time and mm -hmm. stuff. Plus, Joe had uh, a lot more contacts than we did. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of nice... Uh, you know, he was kind of our ambassador, you know, of abroad when he started taking photos, you know, when he got recognized by the, uh, you know, the Kerangs and stuff like that. And, and kind of, they, they really didn't have a guy in the States that they used a lot. You know, there, there was, I think it was maybe you and one other, maybe Eddie. I think there was somebody here in New York that did or some Frank work in that or time. Somebody like that. Yeah, yeah, but there wasn't a whole lot. There was only a couple of people here in the States that took pictures of what was happening here. You know, everything else in those magazines were, you know, old Saxon pictures or whatever, you know. Iron um, Maiden, Saxon. Not, or, or Def Leppard <laughs> or at the Def time, Leopard, because yeah. that was Power Maiden had just come out. So, um, so it, you know, it put us into, well, now we're talking to big guys, and and, uh, and because of the phony, you know, looks and all that kind of stuff, I think they overlooked the music. And I think one thing that's really interesting that you said is that you think every band should document their career. And what's great about this book is that it documents the part of your career one, a lot of people flat out don't even know about, which we're talking about the glam era. A lot of people think that Cowboys is the actual first album, but it gives a huge perspective on a side that not a lot of people really get to see because that's a, that era yeah. of Pantera has largely been ignored. One guy in the band didn't want these photos to come out at all. It was just not for it. Right? Not at all? Who was that? One of the other two guys, not me. Fair enough. So we were looking through a little bit of the photos um, before we started the podcast here. And one thing that we're talking about is if you're listening to this on YouTube and you've drifted, now's the time to bring this back up in your browser and look because you can see some of these images. And here's one of a giant crowd and there's, you're saying some brothers up front and they're holding up Pantera license plates, Far Beyond One and Pantera One. And what's the story behind this one right here? Um, it was obviously a show in Illinois. I don't think it was in Chicago. It might have been in Springfield. Uh, but we didn't know they were brothers, actually, until the book came out, and they actually contacted uh, my publisher, Jacob, on Facebook and said, hey, you know, you, that's you us. got our That's <laughs> us in there. And, and they kind of told us the whole story of, they're, of they're who they were. They're a bunch of fellows. And they I actually spoke that. about the mullets and stuff like that, actually, I, I believe, <laughs> in the post. Uh, but, yeah, but it, it was just, you know, guys going nuts with license plates, and that's, you know, very interesting. You don't always see people with license plates with, of their favorite brand, band and bringing them to the show and stuff, and they were just going nuts. It was, it was right before Pantera would was going to take the stage, and they were just up there going nuts. I said, just hold those up, and they did, and, and then, you know. I want to I say that's Dayton. But it, they're in Illinois, though, so that would have been Ohio. But it could be. Dayton. Oh, you're right. But you're but right. You're right. I, I thought Somewhere maybe it was like Midwest. Springfield or something like that. Yeah, not could not be. specifically Chicago. 
It could have been Chicago, but I mean, all the all the tourists run together so much. I used to look at the ceilings a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So Rex, these people brought Pantera license plates. I mean, you've got a band where people are making their own license plates. After what's the weirdest thing somebody's brought you? Kind of like a custom like Pantera Uh, type thing. Prosthetic leg. Really? Yeah. Or a wheelchair. Um, And we were more than obliged. So um, that's lying around somewhere? No, we'd give it back to him. We'd oh, okay. it up right there on the <laughs> stage. You know? it, dude, it was insane. All the stuff that used to come flying out on that stage. I mean, dude, there was just, hell, I'd probably quarter pound of weed just sitting there <laughs> on the deck from people throwing it up. I'm dead, dead ass serious. Mm, you know? I mean, we got a guitar player named Dimebag. Why not, you right? Know, I mean, yeah, it was it was nuts. I don't remember. There wasn't, yeah. Uh, there's some pictures actually. If you go t- towards the white zombie stuff, oh where, yeah, those where, are great. where the guy actually showed up oh, in that those. costume, uh, sort of a a, a deer head or something. Yeah, and that that, that was probably that's a little too. F- uh, yeah, you're getting right close. Here. Yeah, and but now look for the shot of Dimebag and the band. Keep going. I believe it's in that general area. Yeah, that's the one. That's what I'm talking about. But anyway, this guy just showed up in this outfit with. Uh, skeleton hands and a deer outfit you and of course once is, right? once dime saw it uh he had to bring that guy in for a photo shoot because it was just like so <laughs> he, so he's, crazy he's little out from uh from from new orleans was that who there yeah. was okay. he was working for i think because uh yeah there he is god yeah. was yeah that, that's that's uh alan um in new orleans no, i mean for me that were, yeah there we go there that we was go. like the 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 weird one of the weirdest things that, <laughs> that uh, either came to a show or was thrown on stage or or whatever <laughs> now another one that we're talking about here is just kind of passed out on the floor of the airport oh yeah he just dropped trial anywhere you know? <laughs> <laughs> i'm telling you that new zealand and australia run was just insane that was oh, the first God. time that the band had been over there and those people over there can party let me tell mm-hmm. you and it was essentially that we there was no tour bus so we we're traveling from town to town by via airplane mm-hmm. and so showing up at the airports was sometimes very after tough after the show we go hit the 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 bar at the, at the hotels mm-hmm. i remember you know when i don't know if necessarily the fans were there wasn't that packed but i remember guys would just stand up and piss right there on the you know just right next to you and i'd feel a <laughs> splash in my leg and i go what the fuck are you doing and uh, big old rugby fella, and I didn't say much else after that. Right. <laughs> I think we all started doing it after that. I was like, this feels like Texas. Shit. I remember walking into that club we went to in, in Dublin, Ireland, and just seeing literally like about 30 people just passed out. They had you know, partied so much. And, oh my you know, God. in America, they would, you know, cart you out, you know, you're out of here, buddy. Mm-hmm. But there, we walked into Dang. this rock club, and people were literally Leave them where they lie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And now, Rex, this is one of my favorite pictures in the book. It shows everybody sitting on a bench, and then you're kind of distanced from everyone else. And I think it kind of personifies how you were in the band, where you weren't always out in the forefront, and you kind of like to keep to yourself a little bit more. I like that. So what do you, yeah. what do you have to say about this picture? Wearing a Dallas Cowboy shirt, too. It wasn't planned on that. Um, I just kind of sat down and looked away. I think the reason that that picture comes across that way is because I'm looking the other way. I think Definitely. we had a discussion before that was taken that maybe I was still thinking about. Um, but so this that, is more that's of a the way shot? I've always been. You know, look, to me, it wasn't about the glamour and all the crap. It was about the music, you know. And I just, 
um, as a bass player, I, you know, um, I just didn't, I, I waited, man. I waited. I'm still waiting. <laughs> still so waiting. Y'all can ask me these <laughs> questions. Keep the legacy alive. Yeah, that, that was just a natural shot. I, we never, ever essentially posed anything or said, you stand here, you stand there. If the band came together, that's the way we we're going to shoot it. And I think when Phil we got this farted location. or something, I think I can't feel it. <laughs> Phil had farted and I just kind of moved over and said, not cool, dude. <laughs> yeah. And essentially they just sat there like that and we just, we just started shooting. I didn't have to direct this band much. You know, there's mm-hmm. some bands where you had to tell people how to look or chin up or chin down or look this way or that way. But with Pantera, it was just all just capture the moment. Capture the candid yeah. spirit. Now, let's go into a little bit of rocker versus writer here. So we've talked about a lot of cool topics before on the podcast, and today's topic is going to be the best metal bassist, rock metal bassist of all time. So, oh, and no. of course, so come on, you, are you going to make <laughs> us argue against you being the best bassist? That wouldn't be too good. Um, so Rex, who is your pick for the be- for the best bassist? No, he's a butler. He's a butler and Joe. Um, it. If it's just metal, I'd say Geezer, but if it's rock, I'd say Getty Lee. Getty Lee. Yeah. Hard to mess with Getty Lee. Yeah, I, man, John Paul Jones. I mean, you know, metal, those two guys form a path. Also, Jack Bruce. Um, there, there's a ton of them. There's a lot of good guys. My pick is going to be, no surprise to anybody who's listened to this Steve podcast Harris. before, Steve Harris. Huge Maiden fan, so mm. how can I go with Steve surprise. Harris? <laughs> but, uh, Rex, uh, why do you like Geezer so much? Because Geezer is one of those kind of fellows that stays in the background and is mysterious, and he also wrote a lot of those riffs, and he wrote all the damn lyrics. Mm-hmm. It was his band, and I still, you know, I just I saw Geezer a couple of months ago, and uh, and it was it was great because his his uh, his tech called me. He goes, "Man, you got to come up and play. We just we just put the new rig together." And so I got to go up and play on my heroes. Fucking almighty rig that that uh, that um, yeah this company I can't, I can't say if it's an attractional thing so anyway I got to get up and play on his bases man and it's by far and I played on every well I can't play, say every every rig that Geezer's played on since '98 wow you know literally so and this one was just oh my god dude I took pictures of it it's just insane. I mean, I'm not supposed to be taking your side here, and, but and, I mean, you know, then, tone then we, sounds then we like had a chance to go, you know, hang out. But um, you know, when you're when you're playing shows and stuff, at, um, especially those guys at that age, you have a certain routine, and you know, so he kept bringing me back. You know, well, that picture didn't take take. Let's take another one, and mm-hmm. then he blasted me all over the Sabbath Twitter and all over the you know the pages and stuff, and that was really really cool. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's why Geezer's my favorite. Yeah, his. Bass tone is just crack foundations. So I'm not supposed to be taking your side here, but I I can't ignore that part. And he's the coolest (laughs) you ever met in your life. So what's your, uh, why do you think Getty Lee is the best bassist, Joe? His versatility. I mean, Mm -hmm. not only playing the bass, but just his musicianship, being (laughs) able to sing, uh, do bass pedals, do keyboards. uh, He's his own power trio. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) That's a a good way of putting it. But Getty, Getty put it all together, though. I mean, you know, the vocals and everything, the, the synthesizer, all that stuff. I mean, he, 
he was the main composer. Mm-hmm. You know, they all shared their duties, but he had a huge plate, and he chewed it all. You know, and just laying the foundation for that music. I mean, you know, behind Alex's guitar, just you know, he he, he it was so chugging and so it drove the song and uh, the songs and just, yeah, real yeah, complimentary really, roles. Yeah. And what I like about Steve Harris is, I mean, you know, there's the gallop and metal, that whole thing, but he just sounds so much different than everybody else and the way that he does his runs. And then one thing that I really like is the way that he brushes his fingers down and actually plays chords a little bit, kind of like a guitar. He doesn't do it all the time, but it's just, it's only when it's exactly like as needed. So just a little bit at the end of a measure or something and just boom, and just that little bit of power. I'm amazed at the speed. You know, the yeah, mm-hmm. Harris plays, really, you know. And you you think it's three fingers? It's only two. Yeah, he's in, he's insane. And then he's got the, he doesn't even have the, like a volume or a tone knob on his bass. Frank Bellow. What about Frank Bellow? Well, about the three finger. Everybody thinks that that three finger is a gallop with mm-hmm. three on it. It's actually two fingers. Just two. I thought that Rex was actually going to say that I was his, uh, best bass player absolutely because uh during the club days and on sundays the, the nights when you know not oh, as many people were there the band would on like the last set i, I was a crappy you know bass player myself uh and uh they'd pull me up there on stage and uh let me play walking the dog by I, it wasn't aerosmith song but uh, they covered it and so mm-hmm. we'd get up there and i'd play walking the dog uh not like, saying it once every uh month or two and that was uh <laughs> my actually being on the stage and being the fifth mm-hmm. member that's right I <laughs> part of my history that. with bandera that was funny i played i think i played glazer's guitar and sang think, that one right didn't i think I? so i believe so yeah did wow. you ever take the pictures instead I think uh, no joe was one. a picture he was on stage yeah <laughs> yeah i don't i don't think anyone oh, I, 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 I think, think there's there there's somewhere. probably a couple but, i've seen a few yeah but i, I don't think i've ever seen them actually but we'll let this somehow <laughs> so let's bring this back around to you rex what's uh what's your favorite kind of geezer moment with his playing is there a favorite song that you have that he's done mm, very far boots i mean you that song i know picking black so sabbath songs insane. is impossible it's just you, you can't pick one from the other you know I, I got the chance to a couple two or three years ago they bass player live which i'm heavily uh do every year with those cats and uh they had a uh, where everybody got you know they give them a lifetime achievement award and so they invited me to come down and play a song and and uh and play, so i played hole in the sky and just tore it up and and it, so i'm walking i'm standing there and he walks down to come you know accept his award and he's in a suit i've never seen geezer in a suit before and uh him and his wife and he gives me the biggest hug and embrace because he's not one of those kind of gents he just very formal handshake very uh british gentleman uh type and he just gives me the, this biggest hug and kiss on the cheek and it well you you just don't that that's it you're, you're finished you know you, your <laughs> job is done you know after after that that just happens um and that's all i could think of for the next two days did that really happen <laughs> you know um, he just, he, he, he laid the groundwork for so many people. He laid, um, you know, both on the bass and lyrically, you know, um, just, uh, just, and also just an incredible human being. So it's hard to argue against geezer Butler. 
and hard to argue against Getty Lee, hard to argue against Steve Harris. So we're going to call it. That's it for Rocker versus Writer for this time. Now, let's go. We talked a lot about the past. Let's talk about the future. Rex, you've got a solo album coming out. Sure do. What could you tell us about this? It's rock and roll. It's rock and roll. And it's me singing. I uh, I went to Nashville um, last summer, and I had a friend that was living there. His name's Lance Harville, and he's a, this guy writes just incredible songs, and he's a great guitar player. And um, together we had, uh, he had had some tunes that I, that I liked, and, and uh, so we started working on it. Some, some were just like little parts, and then, you know, I'd, I'd bring a part to the song or whatever. I rewrote lyrics or or whatever but you know we uh it's uh we we co-wrote all the all of these uh it's gonna be 11 songs on the record i think Mm. uh we have some others but we it was just uh the the chemistry there is kind of like uh it's a little oil and vinegar um interesting uh, me coming in and singing some of this stuff and and he would have some guidelines and then i would change them and you know so very very much a, a a partnership you know, um, and for me to go and sing the first time, man, I was just scared to death, you know, um, trying to find that voice. And there was this one song that he had uh, in particular. This that's It's off the cuff, man, but I really, really worked and worked and worked at the song to uh, to find that voice. And once I found it, then everything else... It freed in, everything else Then up. everything else fit into place, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So I would go down and we would work on these four songs and I'd go back home and then... Uh, or first that we, we, we laid 11 basic tracks. Um, and then from there I would come back and then we'd start singing on these. So some of these have the original vocals on them and then some of them I've, uh, retouched and redone, but we just finished, um, uh, let's see, October 20th. And so since then we've mixed it about 18 times and I can't <laughs> listen to it anymore. But need it, to step away just, from it for a little. It, it it just it harkens back to, you know, my love of seventies hard rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know? like when we were in the studio, you put that Aerosmith yeah, poster behind it you. It harkens back to all those influences that I had before that. But but it also has this, you know, I know somebody's already used this, and I had this phrase for a long time. It's more of a modern vintage sound. That's what I wanted to kind of go with. You know, you can take you know you can take the the boy out of the farm, but the farm can't take you know, the farm out of the boy right. yeah and so it still has that that kind of uh, attack to it but it uh you know the 70s there were a great some great hard rock songs that really had that were catchy you know mm-hmm. and for me it's all about the song and that, that the the groove and the you know the, the accessibility to it and uh yeah, that one hook moment horny you know there, there's a way that you can do it where, where it's not uh um it's it's not and Lance helped me and also uh, had an extraordinary drummer um, uh, Christopher Williams who he's played with man this guy's played with just about everybody um, he plays with Accept now and and uh, and I got uh, he introduced me into uh, Caleb Sherman who is a producer implant from here to, to Nashville hmm. and he just makes these incredible records man this chemistry that we have is just undeniable it's it's a uh, it's uh it's it's what i've been wanting to do for a long time you know i i want to say this record should have came out five or ten years ago but you know now's now you're a busy and, guy and here it is yeah, well of course um 
and but this is just something I'm really passionate about. Something I'm really proud of, and um, you know, it is what it is, man. I don't I don't care if people love it or hate it, mm-hmm. but they're gonna hear it. You know, I'm damn sure not gonna shelve it just for. They are gonna you hear know. it. You because got a little because it's. it's I, I mean, I have I haven't felt strongly about some of the material that I've done in a long time, and this and this. You know, I got to a point two years ago where I just didn't want to play another note. I just uh, got done with the needed to put everything down and all that. I had to go live life a little bit. You know, I mm-hmm. had to watch my sure. kids grow. I had to you know my relationship and and, and uh, you know I got engaged and just while I was doing this record, we we bought a home and and uh, and completely just stripped the whole house, knocked walls out, and, and did everything in in about three and a half months and put you know. I mean, it's, a, it's an incredible ranch style kind of contemporary home in in, uh, in Albuquerque. But uh, you know, I've had a I'm just blessed with uh, with some great talent on this record, and also you know, just grateful for everything that's happened here in the last couple. I, I had to get that man. I was burnt out. Mm-hmm. Twenty five years on that silver tube is enough. <laughs> All right. Well, stay tuned for that snippet for a sample of uh, new Rex Brown solo material. I want to thank you guys so much for sitting down and coming on the podcast. Rex, Joe, it's been great in having you guys here. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, bud. Right there, we have it. Another Loudwire podcast in the books. I guess uh, now in the books makes sense. We just we talked about the photo book. I don't really why they know why they say in the books anymore. Everything's digitized anyway. So that was a lot of fun, and I think it was really cool getting Joe's aspect of everything because it's one thing to be in the band, and it's another thing to kind of be that fifth member who observes everything from I guess uh, wait for the pun here a little bit of a different lens than everybody else. So we got some cool stories, especially with uh, somebody <laughs> giving them the prosthetic leg and the wheelchair. Some really strange stuff. Glad they gave it back, though. That would probably not have ended too well. And then, of course, how about that surprise at the end? A little bit of uh, music from Rex Brown there. Some sample from the solo album. He said it was going to be a little more rock-related, going back to his roots early. So that's a little preview of that. Super excited that he gave us that. That was very nice of him. And we did a lot of stuff when they were in here. So if you love Wikipedia Fact or Fiction and you haven't seen it yet, we've got one up out right now with Rex Brown dispelling a bunch of Wikipedia. No surprise there. I was actually got to host my first Wikipedia segment since Graham wasn't here. So be nice to me, please. Or you could be mean. Whatever. It doesn't matter. If you miss Graham, hey, I guess that's a good thing. He's, he's pretty good. So anyway, 
that's the end of this podcast. Definitely make sure you head to loudwire.com for all of your rock and metal news. Bunch of lists, always doing a lot of fun stuff. And then follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at Ice Nerve Shatter. It's a Godflesh song. If you're listening again, thank you. And if you're listening again, you already know it's a Godflesh song. Even though he's not here, go ahead, follow Graham. He's at Graham Wire. Pretty good. I don't know. I just didn't feel like Joe Wire had the same ring to it. Anyway, that does it for this time. Uh, Graham's not here, so maybe we'll play some Duke in another time. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs>